good evening, and welcome to a very spooky episode of Chats in a Pickle, a podcast where we cover non-struck work in the world, the realm of pop culture. I'm your haunted guest, Alan, and I'm joined as always by an absolute ghoul of a guy. It's Magellan. Hello. Hey, everybody, what's going on? I'm a singing ghoul, and I'm eating some flan. It's as jiggly as I can be on Halloween. I love the energy. It's giving Death Becomes Her. It's giving Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge. It's giving Smart House. It's giving... (laughs) (laughs) Listen up, Magellan. What was it? Um, the one with the guy who's like a meme, and we love him. What? Give me more. Oh Give God. me a little more. What's his name? Like, Give me a little more. We love him. Rocky Horror Picture Jeff Show. Goldman. Timothy Curry. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. This. What's the Halloween song that he's in? Anything can happen on Halloween. Yeah, you. Your dog thank can you. turn into a cat. That's from. <laughs> yeah. Also starring a young Farusa Balk. Fun fact. I don't know who that is, so I'm not having much fun with that fact. She's the one who takes William's virginity. She's also in... I've never wait, seen a movie wait, before. Wait. I've never seen oh, a... No. I'm, oh, no. I'm bleeping all of that. I'm bleeping it with, like, spooky sounds. It's all going to be spooky sounds. Oh, no. Never mind. Uh, but you guys I, enjoy uh, the, spe- the spooky, ble- spooky bleeps. Go ahead. Yeah. For all the teachers out there, you probably know about all these YouTube channels that that make bank off of being like timers, um, because you you know you got to put timers in your slides yeah, or whatever. Right. Yep. Um, and I keep doing this bit every day, and there are these two kids who sit in the front row in our earliest period of the day, um, where there's like a spooky timer that when you <laughs> play it, it plays like creepy music, and every time I play it, I go like. Huh, huh. <laughs> and nobody else notices it and it's really fun is it 10 minute halloween bats timer spooky electronic piano it tones at the end does that have like a moon in the background and stuff oh no that's 15 minute halloween timer yeah it's a tw- it's the 12 minute one of those amazing amazing yeah yeah oh man it is spooky season you know people ask us you know the chats listeners asked us they're like whoa you guys can do spooky stuff this month what's going on you guys did moving out that's not a scary game i'll, I'll have you know listener that the process of moving out of a home is terrifying. very scary yeah Hor- horrifying one might even say yeah but we're leaning all the way into it since this is in fact the chats episode that comes out two days before halloween god i'm so excited for you guys um <laughs> and it's my pickle this week so um i just <sighs> I'm just enjoying this moment, right, where I get to host and control the tenor of the episode and, you know, put on a mask, a character, and dictate the story to you. But before that, just a quick check. John, it's pickle check time. Pickle in the fridge. I got a pickle in the fridge. I got my wife all over me. But there's a pickle in the fridge. When my wife is out, I touch the pickle in the fridge. When my wife is at home, I do not touch the pickle in the fridge. Cause there's a pickle in the fridge. I'm gonna punch you in the teeth. Alan, did you crunch any pickles with your teeth this week? 
Oh, 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 I certainly did, Mr. Magellan. I, uh, yeah, I was at my parents this weekend and for, you know, a baptism. And I think mm-hmm. it was uh, Sunday morning. Yeah. Or Sunday afternoon. I had a hamburger and I was like, could I, mm, could I get a pickle with this? And my mom was like, yeah. And oh, she had the like same, that. she had the same Clausen jar that she gave me. It's like I was donated it. Like a cursed object, but hers was much older. <laughs> so I brought up the concern, right, from last week of like, hey, mine says it's expired. And she was like, they're pickles. They don't expire the same way. Like, eventually, yeah, they'll be gross, but they just get more and more pickly, and you're fine. Because she was mm-hmm. like, I've had this one for weeks. And like, after its expiration, you're not, it's not an issue. So I'm keeping my pickles mm-hmm. around in the house. I did crunch into a pickle with my teeth. And I'll probably be having a pickle tomorrow because I'm home from I'm home from home from work. I'm working from home. I'm home from work. I'm home from work. <laughs> you know how when you know what the right thing is to say, but your brain will only want to say it wrong. Yeah, that's my brain does that a lot. Where it'll be like two different things that would make sense, but the combination does not. Yeah, it just doesn't. It refuses to connect. Um, yeah. Did you have a pickle this week? Uh, okay, so here's what happened. So I went to this really fun event i'm kind of tipping the hand of one of my several chatsums um, but i went to an event that i'll talk about later at the nighthawk cinema in williamsburg brooklyn and uh i was there with our roommates and with amanda and um we got this like chicken sandwich that came with a uh you know a quarter of a pickle like a classic spear that you get on the side of a sandwich sure and Amanda and I were sharing the chicken sandwich, so I look over at the pickle, and in my head, I'm like, "That's my that's my pickle check pickle right there. Like this is my <laughs> opportunity to have something to talk about on the podcast." And then I kind of like ate the sandwich a bit, ate some of the fries, had a drink of whatever I was drinking, and then I look back over, and it's gone. It wasn't there anymore, and oh. I didn't I didn't have a bite of it. Um, oh. And it and it's okay because there's an unspoken understanding between me and Amanda that if we're sharing something and it has a pickle with it, that she'll eat the pickle. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I really I needed to advocate for myself in that moment and say like, look, this is for my art. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. She let you. Uh. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't even. It, it all happened so quickly. You know, I see. I see. That's beautiful. So, maybe before the end of chats and a pickle, I'll eat a pickle. We'll see. You gotta just eat one pickle, man. It's yeah. I believe in you. I believe the time is soon. Tell you if honestly, if you told her, hey, you have. I know you have a jar of pickles in the fridge. Can I have one pickle so that I can complete the pickle check? We can. We'll be free. She will. She will gladly say yes. I will text her right now and be like, please let your no, mans have no, one no, 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 no. That's too easy. That's too easy. I want to encounter a pickle. Okay. When your wife is in the wild. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, what is it similar to? Oh, my God. You know what I'm thinking of? It's like uh, uh, Whamageddon. Like, you don't want to just play the song. Yeah. Yeah, right, 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 right. I just explained to him again to my roommate a few weeks ago. It's like, hey, heads up, in December when I'm like really weird. <laughs> yeah, you're going to play this uh, game with me in a month yeah. or so. <laughs> if so you're like, wait, if we're ever out in public and you're like, why is he covering his ears? And it's like, that's why. I'm not sick. <laughs> I'm sick, but I'm sick with Wham again. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I think it's time for our main event. Does that sound like a plan? It does. Let's do it. 
So in honor of spooky season and in our continued effort to not cover struck work, we're not talking about any TV series featuring famous works, adaptations of famous poets. Uh, instead, we're talking about the original goddamn works. That's right, folks. It's the Edgar Allan Poems special. Edgar Allan Poe, local Bostonian Edgar Allan Poe, an American yeah, writer and poet. Love that. Born in 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts, is a central figure of romanticism and gothic fiction. He's got a, he had a great mustache. He wrote a poem about a raven that got a great Simpsons parody. And uh, he wrote a lot of poems about weird shit that happened around Boston. That's a true thing. There is a statue of Edgar Allan Poe outside of uh, yeah. my old office. Yeah, we've been there. I, mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember when it was built. I was in college and my professor in my I was actually doing Boston writers class in senior year. And she was like, if you take a picture outside in front of the Edgar Allan Poe statue, I'll give you extra credit. And I like took the train into the city to go to that statue for the extra credit. That was also the class where she gave us the keys. So great shout out to that professor. Um, and that's where I kind of like fell in love with Edgar Allan Poe. I also took a gothic fiction course in that year. Uh, and so I was like, you know, we got to do some Poe stuff. I want to do it in a creative way. I don't I just want to like read poems to the people because I know some people like that. But, uh, you know, our analysis and our comedy criticism can be kind of like the, the, the sell for most people. So let's read Edgar Allan Poe and talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's my background. Before we get into what we dis- we uh, read this week, what is your background with uh, the, the thespian himself? Uh, I've been a longtime fan of Edgar Allan Poe. I, I gotta imagine that my introduction to him was either in English class or the first Trias of Horror episode. It was probably the first Trias of Horror episode where uh, Homer is like doing the Raven. The Raven. And Bart is the Raven. <laughs> Don't I crest be shorn and shaven, thou? I said. But sure, no craven. Ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me, tell me what thy lordly name is on the nice Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven. Eat my shorts. Bart, stop it. <laughs> it's um, so good. <laughs> and I think as a kid, it was something that like, like there's not a, much of a joke there because they're pretty much doing the the raven word for word with some minor tweaks um but kind of just setting it to animation but there was just something about it as a kid where i was like what is this what why is this episode like this i'm so fascinated (laughs) to know way more about it um and i really glommed onto whenever we would read post stuff in English class. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, my eighth grade English English class did this strange thing where every month we had to read an outside reading book of our choice. And at the end of the month, everybody had to get up in front of the class and recite a poem that they had memorized. Um, It's just such an odd, like, holdover from education practices that predated when we were in high school and were like things that were probably institutionalized in our public school system from way earlier, this focus on like recitation. Cause then also when we were in ninth grade, we had to memorize and recite the uh, Mark Antony speech from Julius Caesar. Yes, we did. Um, which is like, 
a weird thing. And you remember our ninth grade English teacher had to stay after school for like weeks to hear all of these ninth graders come in and recite um, Friends, Romans, Countrymen, which I think I would pull my hair out if I had to do that as a teacher. Um, Seriously, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so we had to memorize a poem every month. And I think the stipulation was like it had to be at least 10 lines long. So imagine like little, you know, how old are you in eighth grade? Like 13 or whatever. Um, yeah. Little 13 year old me doing monthly installments of the Raven. Like, okay, let me pick up where I left off last month. Um, or like one month doing Annabelle Lee or, uh, you know, things like that. And yeah, I was just really into Poe. And then, in high school, you know, I, I, I refined my taste and I got really into H.P. Lovecraft uh, in 10th grade. Yeah. Um, I'm being a little tongue in cheek uh, because H.P. Lovecraft, obviously, is a pretty racist dude, but also wrote some wild, cool shit. So, you know, take that with don't, a grain of salt, I guess. Don't ever look up what he named his cat. <laughs> no. Just, don't no, do that. Don't. Don't read the story where his cat is featured in it. Um, Oof. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, I was a very, like, I was not goth, but I was gothic was kind of my thing sure. um, in middle school, early high school. So big, big Poe fan. Yeah, it's, there's just something, like, undeniably appealing about his way of writing. Um, I think he kind of got pigeonholed in, like, young uh academic crit as like the goth guy the dark scary guy and like yeah we're we're, we're narrowing it down and reading him for halloween but i mean poe mm -hmm. was just a writer who wrote to live right the dude did gothic work he did a lot of famous detective fiction um mm -hmm. he pioneered that genre in a big way um he did romance romance and goth gothic writing or romantic and gothic writing um intertwined for a long time there uh and are still you know, inexorably linked to each other. And he was working on both, man. I mean, he's yeah. a fascinating guy. He has that he had lived a fascinating life. We're not here to talk about the life and death of Edgar Allan Poe, but I do encourage people to like read up on him if you're curious about who the guy is that, that wrote all the stuff we're talking about. But we each have our favorites. So before we last thing, last thing, I just want to know, is the thing that you read this week for your own homework, is this your favorite Edgar Allan Poe story or poem, or do you have another one that's your favorite? Um, that's tough. I mean, I, I specifically went out of my way to read something that I hadn't read before. Same. And upon reading it, I was like, wait, maybe I have read this before? Like, Same. decades ago? <laughs> <laughs> um... I really liked it. I mean, I have a uh, a place in my heart for you know, like the Telltale Heart and and the Raven and Annab Annabelle Lee, like the classics, Follow the House of Usher and that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's the fun thing about Poe is like I don't feel like I need to have a favorite um, because it's all just kind of spooky and silly and fun. So yeah, I kind of want to keep it all in one big pile. That's fair. I don't. I used to say that Usher was my favorite because uh, it has allegories. But in reading about my homework this week, um, mm -hmm. I learned that Edgar Allan Poe really doesn't like it when people try to read allegories into his work or didn't like it when people tried to read allegories into his work. Mm -hmm. 
like he specifically pushed back against the idea that the work has to be symbolic of something else uh which is so interesting and i'm gonna come back to that in my half of this episode but Mm. before we talk about our separate homework we read a poem the two of us read the same poem and we're going to talk about it it's the haunted palace Mm -hmm. um so one of my goals i think with this episode was to not only discuss the works but to attempt in a modern chatsable format uh like summarize them to each other Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so to kick things off do you want to try to like just off the cuff because i know you said you didn't take a lot of any notes can you just, mm-hmm. like, give me a quick summary of The Haunted Palace? I mean, it's short enough that we could just read it. Yeah, right that's true. Now, if you're <clears throat> interested in that. Yeah, this one can be def- could definitely be read. Why not? It's a fun one. Um, it's a really gets a good read. Okay. Do you want to, like, go back and forth stanza by stanza? Yeah, stanza by stanza is perfect. Okay. So I'll do the first one, and then you'll do the second, and we'll trade off like that. Sure. And uh, I'll, I'll make sure you throw some very good music under this. Okay. The Haunted Palace by Edgar Allan Poe. In the greenest of our valleys, by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace, reared its head. In the monarch thought's dominion, it stood there. Never seraph spread opinion over fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious, golden, on its roof did float and flow. This, all this, was in the olden time long ago. And every gentle air that dallied in that sweet day, along the ramparts plumed and pallid, a winged odor went away. Wanderers in that happy valley, through two luminous windows saw, spirits moving musically to a lute's well-tuned law. Round about a throne where sitting, Porphyrogene, in state his glory well befitting the ruler of the realm was seen. And all with pearl and ruby glowing was the fair palace door, through which came flowing, 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 and sparkling evermore. A troop of echoes whose sweet duty was but to sing, in voices of surpassing beauty, the wit and wisdom of their king. But evil things and robes of sorrow assailed the monarch's high estate. Ah, let us mourn, for never morrow shall dawn upon him desolate. And round about his home the glory that blushed and bloomed is but a dim-remembered story of the old time entombed. And travelers now within that valley, through the red-litten window see vast forms that move fantastically to a discordant melody while, like a ghastly rapid river, through the pale door, a hideous throng rush out forever, and laugh, but smile no more. Chills. Mm. Straight chills. Uh, had you read this one before? No, I don't think I'd recognize this one. Me neither. It's so cool that this guy just keeps having works. I can still, in my adult life, be like, that's a whole new sense of horror and existential dread I did not experience until today. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the haunted palace is about? Besides the haunted palace, obviously. Um. Yeah, I think it's hard to exactly pinpoint it. I mean, you've got this conversation about like a very uh, sort of idyllic sanctuary 
in the monarch thoughts dominion um that feels important we're capitalizing the word thought in the first stanza um and suggesting the, that it used to be in the monarch like in the in thought you know not in reality that's how i uh, that. interesting interesting once a fair and stately palace radiant palace reared its head in the monarch thoughts dominion it stood there never share spread opinion over fabric half so far um yeah i could see that like it's an imagined place um or it's a I guess formerly also... great place right um and then there are these echoes that sing about the wit and wisdom of the king which seems to continue to paint this image of like uh an idyllic place but also something about them being echoes mm -hmm. um seems to imply a king who like isn't aware of his own flaws and that maybe ends up being his undoing um it seems like the king is thought in the monarch thoughts dominion um so maybe sure. thought is like feeding back on itself with echoes and then like kind of doesn't see its own doom coming um so i don't know i kind of read it as like the this almost like solipsistic worldview in the beginning that is essentially like falling to the i don't know sorrows and realities of of the world around it um but it's also just kind of a a catchy like creepy-ish story which is fun of course that's know. the Did you have a take on it that's the versatility of poetry right is it's it is both a like cool coupled vibe with like a you know a beginning and an end, like a two halves mm -hmm. and it is whatever you want to read into it that's like the fun mm -hmm. thing about this so i i kind of read it very straightforward this is a place that used to be beautiful but and everybody remembered it and it left behind a sort of energy that was memorable and wonderful and you know incomprehensible and then over time it decayed and uh you know, evil things and robes of sorrow assailed the monarch's high estate. Um, it eventually becomes a place that is horrible and decrepit and scary and broken. Um, mm. Which, I mean, if I'm going to English class this, which is exactly what I'm going to do, I think a lot of people read Poe's work as being about death. I think it's easy to read this as being about aging. You know, mm. what was once there is no longer there. Where the Haunted Palace, like, really like works for me though is thinking about it as like spaces in our lives like i remember 10 or so years ago visiting my childhood home and getting really emotional about how things changed and i think this is like the fundamental fear of going back to something old is that it's mm -hmm. not it's no longer the thing it used to be and it's like well what happened time happened you know, there's no implication mm -hmm. that the dancers and the travelers and the people that come out of this house are bad. It's just that they are they've been there for so long. And so for you to open the door and be like, oh, wow, there's a lot of corruption inside of here and, and evil. It's mm. it's just kind of what happens to spaces over time. I mean, like, what is a mansion but a or what is a haunted house but a mansion with plus time, you know? Mm hmm and minus people so where there was once life there is now this um 
I think is that that's why it starts with the greenest of our valleys and ends with the like deeply unsettling line and laugh but smile no more. So like there's still mm. life in there. It's just not smart. There's no like happiness. There's no more joy in it, which is fucking creepy as heck, man. I don't know. I yeah. I I like. I got to um I found a, a reading of this one um and my my short story by Christopher Lee the actor. Oh, very cool. Highly recommend for for any of the post stuff to just go on YouTube and look up like people reading them. There's a lot of like famous uh writers and actors reading them. Um mm-hmm. and he brings this like stateliness to it that I freaking love. Um mm-hmm. never serif spread opinion over fabric half so fair. And it's like, that's the that's good fun. part. That's supposed to be like the nice part of the poem. Um, I don't know. I've never read a poem that feels like decay the way that this one does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there's this sense whenever Poe is describing something in this kind of like idyllic language that things are about to go horribly wrong. <laughs> it like makes you feel uneasy. Uh, that he's saying, boy, this this place is pretty radiant. And you say, okay, how are you going to okay. freak me out right now? I'm reading some analyses, just like skimming around Google, uh, that this is like a depression metaphor, basically. Sure. Um, that the, the palace is like one's own mind or inner life. And um, it's the story of kind of like losing the grip on one's own mind or you know there's like different interpretations it's depression it's like instability of your mind whatever um but this feeling that you because people are pointing out um what the, are the red lit windows yeah like pearl and ruby by the door so that's like your teeth and your tongue the yeah. pearl and the ruby for example um two luminous windows right um so it's like okay yeah, well, and at I the end, red lit windows, that. like you are, the, you know, having red eyes, it's suggesting that you've been crying or that there is a sorrow mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Vast, mm-hmm. I love this part. When you think about that read to read, and then you read this line, vast forms that move fantastically to a discordant melody. Like there is somebody home, but they're not like lights on, but nobody's home. Kind of. Like there's just mm-hmm. that's that's that can be often be what I think depression feels like to some people is mm-hmm. that the body is moving and the house still exists. And there's still people inside of it, but you know, mm-hmm. I smile no more. That's just not the happy part. The good part is not there anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't value judge it either. It's just like, yeah, this is the house. It's it's sad now. It didn't used to be like this. Yeah. Something I really loved about this is um I think Edgar Allan Poe is a great person to read if you want to learn about meter and how different metrical feet and metrical choices um can help to like further the the story you're trying to tell in a poem um because he like builds his own forms out of different meters Uh, i think there's a reason that like the raven is so catchy um and it's because it has this like driving rhythm that makes you expect that there's going to be a resolution and then it's like quoth the raven nevermore there's something about the way that that builds and then uh kind of dissipates right or annabelle lee having this almost like sing-songy sea chanty um vibe to it and what i love about the haunted palace is it 
feels like it has this um like very classic structure of a b a b c d c d rhyme scheme and it has metrical lines that are roughly equal in length in the greenest of our valleys by good angels tenanted uh-huh. once a fair and stately palace radiant palace reared its head um, but then in each one the sixth line is this oddly short line so it embeds in every single stanza this feeling of like oh something just went wrong that felt weird anyway back to the rhythm but it happens every stanza and yes. so you're primed even from the first stanza with this description of how peaceful everything is to feel unnerved because the rhythm is being broken yeah and that's just like such a cool interesting musical choice that i that i really loved in this one to that point what um what stanza is it where you think that things start to break bad i'm curious i mean i think <laughs> i think like the first one immediately um this feel when the shortest weird. line is it stood there you're like oh it's not <laughs> standing there for long oh, wow. no. um and the way that he's drawing attention to the content of those lines the second stanza in that sweet day oh okay oh what's going on um yeah i think probably the line the stanza through two luminous windows saw spirits moving musically to a lute's well-tuned law uh i think it's probably that the fourth stanza where we start to bring in the echoes that to me is the the kind of source of what goes wrong um the kind of like inner conversation that doesn't quite warn the monarch of what he needs to be warned of or distracts him or whatever it is. Um, that to me is like kind of the source of the downfall, but yeah. Yeah. So like the first time I read it, I was like, obviously it's, uh, but evil things in robes of sorrow, you know, the second to last, Mm -hmm. that's like where it's Mm -hmm. fully just saying things have gone bad, but every reread, I think about the first time I read, I was reading through it and I got to, third stanza uh wondrous in that happy valley through two luminous windows you're like okay this like light coming through here spirits moving musically that's good to a lute's well-tuned law okay it's music round about a throne we're sitting and they could have just said like the king but they instead decided to say poor fire gene which you mm-hmm. know imply born into the purple born of purple um royalty mm-hmm. which is like a deliberate word choice to be like the king you know the concept of royalty not like the the once and future only king but like the the concept of a king if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. i just love the the choice to switch to metaphor there instead of to describe a actual house that we are looking at it's like there's like concepts in there i know that's like weird to say because it's poetry and this floor full of concepts but like this choice to switch to metaphor there is very unsettling to me I'm like why 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 is it not is it a real guy what's going on is he mm-hmm. there the ruler of the realm was seen okay but that's him right yeah and then yeah the repetition flowing 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 i love that stuff mm-hmm. this guy loves the word evermore not what's better than the word evermore even <laughs> taylor swift understood that uh-huh. uh, um it's a good poem man yeah it's a bang should we uh talk about the stories that we read i would love to i would just 
I'd be top positively touched. Okay, tell me. I want to hear about yours. You got it, big man. So I that was a that was so flirtatious. I'm gonna lean into it harder. Uh, <laughs> I read the Mask of the Red Death, folks. So. Uh, short story, 1842, Prince Prospero's attempt to avoid a dangerous plague. So here's my attempt. Here's my like modern day text summary of the Mask of the Red Death uh, that I took notes on. So there's a really, really bad plague, and it's called the Red Death. It sucks. It ruins your life. It kills you in about 30 <laughs> minutes. Keep that in mind. Oh, shit. Okay. It sucks. <laughs> okay. We got our dude, our main character, our Chad. His name is Prince Prospero. And Mm -hmm. such a G. He's got a huge castle. And he's so rich. And he's like, Red Death, not a problem. I'm going to invite all my cool rich friends. And we're all going to have the wildest party ever. And this Red Death plague shit is going to pass us right by. In fact, just to make sure, I'm going to go ahead and lock my house down and seal the castle. And you're all going to be safe in here. It's not even going to be an issue. This works out fine for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. Months upon months of partying and sex and drinking and debauchery and everything. Six months go by. And he says, you know, we've been doing this for a while. I think let's make a big event out of it. I'm going to throw a masked ball. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't mention this to you before, but Prince Prospero's house has an interesting quality to it. And that's that it has seven rooms. He's holding the party in seven different rooms. Each room is corresponding to a different color of the rainbow, right? We got all, you know, the blue room, the red room, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is why I sent Magellan a picture of the lighting I used in my room where I, I have the, I'm in the red room right now. I, I used my, uh, whatever, my Philips Hue lights. So uh-huh. I'm, in, I'm currently bathed in red light. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get the seven rooms, it turns a different color. There's the black room. We don't, we don't have to go down all of them. He doesn't even describe all of them. The important ones are the black room and the blue room. The black room is where the vibes are off. The black room has like a big spooky clock in it, right? Like a, you know, a TikTok clock. It's so loud that you can hear the clock in every other room. And you're like, what is going on? This clock is so loud. We are not worried about the Red Death at this point. We are just partying everyone's uh-huh. everyone's getting crazy we're doing drugs it's fantastic yeah this big right. clock it's fine there is a little bit of like sadness and melancholy around because we know that the plague exists but like it's a party we're not going to worry about it we're rich rich th- people these things don't happen to rich people we don't get sick mm-hmm. so everyone ignores the black room we, we go around it you know when like people go to sneak away to like make out they still don't go to the black room the vibes are off when the hour strikes and that clock goes off, it's so unsettling that everyone stops doing what they're doing. They're like, no more dancing, no more like twerking, no more kissing, nothing. It's weird. It just clock strikes, you know, one, three, four, five, six, etc. Uh-huh. This continues for 11 hours. It's a great night. The clock strikes midnight. The longest stretch of clock striking that it could possibly be. 12 strikes. At this point, a new guy enters the room. Wait a minute. Why is there a new guy? Don't we know all the guys in the house? Is this even a guy? He's wearing a mask. It's a masquerade ball, though. So this is probably fine. It's a, you know, we love a mask, a masked homie. However, uh-huh. this masked fella is wearing a red mask. And 
his energy is like really off like you know how somebody like comes to a party and they like try to invest themselves into every different social group and they try to like be in the clique but they just don't get the the sort of energy and they're like weird this is that guy he's like asking people like where did you go to college oh my sister's cousin's third brother went there and you're like that's not i don't really care about you you're really weird i wish you would leave actually nobody remembers inviting him he's like really tall and lanky and he's covered in what the poem describes as the, the the short story describes as the abilaments of the grave. So like goth vibes. It's okay. We love having goths at our party. Prince Prosper is mm-hmm. not against that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His clothes, though, are not only very goth, but they're like <laughs> bright red. And he looks mm. sick. Like you can't, uh... you can kind of see around the mask and you're like, this guy looks sallow he looks he's like coughing oh you're supposed to be social distancing yeah there's no so keep that in mind keep keep what you just said in mind please uh people are like does this guy seriously have the red death did we seriously invite somebody with the fucking red death to prince prospero's party are you shitting me prospero is in the middle of like you know beer funneling turns around someone's like who invited this guy and he's like what the fuck is going on Dude is uh-huh. pissed off. He's in the blue chamber when he says this, when he realizes all this. Blue chamber, we start to realize maybe where, you know, it's the beer funnel. It's where Prosper hangs out. It's kind of like the the cool kid's room. He's so mad he has the figure seized. He sends all of his guards. He says, guys, boys, get him out of here. I don't want to see him. I'm pissed off. I don't even want to look at him. Uh-huh. He does get a look at him. He says, can you take your mask off? I don't want to. I don't want to see what. Who even invited you? Who are you? Yeah. The dude takes the mask off. John, who do you think is under the mask? <sighs> Probably gonna be like Jack the Ripper, or like um, I don't know. It's the Red Death itself. I. That's kind of what I figured. That's awesome. It's, it's actually. It's the embodiment of the disease. Prospero stares at it and dies from fear. He doesn't die of the red death. <laughs> He's so Did Edgar Allan Poe write every good story. <laughs> kind of, yes. He's like Padme. <laughs> he dies of a broken heart. He's like the party's ruined. No one's happy. Oh my god, that's awesome. Everybody else in the party realizes that the red death is here. All of them drop dead. Nobody's left alive at the end of this except the Red Death, which gets which comes <sighs> for everyone. So that's the mask of the Red Death. <laughs> I so wish that Edgar Allan Poe could have lived in the modern day so that he could be medicated and play <laughs> dragons. Because my guy would have thrived. You'd be so good. You're like, yeah. so you go into a cave and he's like, How does the cave smell? You're like, What? He's like, How does the cave smell? <laughs> <laughs> Edgar. <laughs> uh, does it remind me of my dead wife? You're like, no, Edgar, <laughs> seriously? So, so, the Mask of the... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. The Mask of the Red Death is about a lot of things. It's about a plague. It's about the Black Death. Edgar Allan Poe's wife had a... I think she actually had the Black Plague at the time that he wrote this. But again... It was... Um, it was uh, what's it called? Um, Cholera? No. Tuber- tuberculosis? Tuberculosis. Yeah. Tuberculosis. Sorry, Black Death is thousands, of years, hundreds of years earlier. That's I think he had multiple people in his life die of tuberculosis. Yeah, so he's it's on his mind. But he tells people this isn't about tuberculosis. It's about the Red Death. 
in modern day, people like to read. People totally. There was an article. The COVID thing. Slate. Slate.com's article: The rich can't hide from a plague. Just ask Edgar Allan Poe. Maya Phillips, March twenty sixth, twenty twenty. This com com uh, comparison has been made. Uh, yeah. The isolated framing of an emergency, the close quarters perspective, people, the rich trying to avoid something and leaving it to the poor to die, the fact that it comes for everyone, that one person can infect an entire population. It's all there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious how you read The Mask of the Red Death, even just from my summary. Like, what, what's the vibe mm-hmm. that you get or what do you feel like it's about? Um, well, first of all... Reading this, or hearing you describe that and reading the one that I read, I feel like Patrick McGowan must have been a huge Edgar Allan Poe fan, because for some reason I'm getting major prisoner vibes. Yeah! Just like... Well, masquerades, you know? Yeah, and just the kind of, like, grounded, scary, but also a little allegorical approach to, like, the characters in the ensemble and how they're engaging with each other. Mm -hmm. Um... And yeah, it seems like it's about, um, like you're saying, this feeling of living at a time where there's this specter looming over you that like, you can't put a face to and trying to go through the process of putting a face to this disease and like that being almost a, a fruitless endeavor. Like it feels like kind of a personal um a personal meditation in, in some ways of there's this phenomenon that's wreaking havoc on my life that is not a person that I can't like, you know, personify and demonize. And I want to try to, and I want to understand what that thing would go out and do um, and what kind of terror it might inflict upon people. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it's not something that we can really know or see entirely um, and hear all the emotions that kind of go along with its existence and proximity. Exactly. It's, it's the unknown, you know, this is like the, the HP Lovecraft thing, right? Uh uh How, what it's the fear of the thing that you don't understand. Right. And I think that's what I like about it is that you're constantly when reading mask of the red death going like, okay like that's weird what's going on with the room and we need to get away from it and like i think we're good but why would i be reading this if we were good oh i guess we were never good we never all these attempts to hide ourselves were useless um i just think it's really it's really powerful and Mm. in terms of like my read of it i think i also think about it as like yeah trying to escape death the rich think that they've conquered death through drugs and ignorance and you know weight loss pills mm-hmm. and shit like that it's like oh death doesn't come for me i'm a rich person and it's like well we all decay yeah. we all melt just like the haunted palace it comes for all of us so this is like that was the through line for me was like you just yeah. can't try to avoid it yeah it has to happen naturally yeah i i think also for me like part of what appealed to me as as a teenager about poe and about lovecraft as someone who like was an atheist with a lot of death anxiety um mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like kind of an existentially scary headspace to be in and with stories like this i think there's 
almost a comfort in doom to a certain extent. Right. Like no matter what hum no like your susceptibility to this disease is not a product of your station in life because everybody is claimed by this disease. And so let's depict the scenario in which the people who are guarding themselves with the most means, who are the most conniving and most capable of escaping it, fail and fall to it. There's a comfort in that of like, we live in a world where we can't change the fact that the Red Death is going to come for mm -hmm. us. Um, and so like that existential horror, that doom is a kind of like, balm for the anxious soul in a way like it's a very you know roundabout backwards thing but i think for me when i was 14 like that kind of thinking made a lot of sense um and i think i you know probably if i was reading that story and we had experienced covid when we were in middle school or high school i think it might have brought me some some comfort in that regard funnily enough Oh, absolutely. I, I also find the ending of this story weirdly comforting, not just because rich people die, but also like I've in the last couple of years, and I think it's COVID's fault, but I've become somewhat obsessed with stories about endings, about apocalypses and what we do after, how we recover from them. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so the like way I would do if I was in the Mask of the Red Death, I would simply not die. It's like I would just accept <laughs> that I'm, I would accept that I'm going to. And if I don't, then I live on and build with the people who survive it. But most people probably won't. This seems to be a 100% fatal disease. So it is about mm. the end of the world. We've never had a 100% fatal disease in our lifetime. Um, so I just think that's like, there is something comforting about like, oh, you know, why hide yourself? Why why put your lock yourself in a tomb like this and try to close your ears to it when you can embrace it and accept that it's going to happen? There's something beautiful about that. Um, my last point is I just think that that's that's like something I love about Poe's work is no matter how bleak and depressing things get, there is a like catharsis at the end of each of his stories. You know, even the haunted mm -hmm. palace is like nobody smiles anymore. It's like, oh, it's done. The past is the past. And now we're in a different state of things. And the mask of the Red Death is like and not a single person survived except for the Red Death. Because the Red Death lives on. It's like, yeah, it's over. We're telling you it's over. Get used to it. Hmm. Um, anyways, awesome, awesome short story. So glad I read it. It's also like another one of those like, oh, I've seen this basically adapted a thousand times. Like, what are we doing? What short story did you read for us this week, Miguel? I read The Cask of Amontillado. And uh, I'll, t I'll tell you the story about it. Um, it's... Okay. You said gay? Sorry, I said yay, but now I said retroactively said gay. Yay, I'm mm. settling in and I'm excited for you to tell me a story is what I meant to say. Go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a different title. This one's called The Barrel of Wine. Uh, it's about <laughs> two friends. <laughs> it's about two friends who have fun at a carnival. They put on a funny oh. hat and then they go downstairs looking for some wine to drink together. They can't quite find it, but they have a really long sleepover. The end. Oh. It's really so nice. nice. Uh, now let me tell you the other version. The cask of Amontillado. So 
essentially we have um, our protagonist who goes by his last name, Montresor. And uh, Montresor is narrating the story from a first-person perspective. The first paragraph, he's bringing you into the story in the middle of it by telling you about the thousand injuries of Fortunato. So Fortunato is his like rival or something, um, social rival, it seems like. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. That's the first sentence of this story. Oh my god. This, this second sentence, you who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. So first sentence, he's like, I fucking hate this guy Fortunato. Second sentence, and look, you know me. I'm not just going to like emptily threaten someone. If I want to kill somebody, I'm going to do it. Third <laughs> sentence, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do it. But I was pretty sure however I did it, it was going to get done without any mistakes being made. So you're in the mind of this murderer from the get-go. And it's so fascinating, like, as a as a study of the position that you can put a reader in by having a, an unreliable first-person narrator. Mm -hmm. Within three sentences, you're just saying, okay, the narrator hates this one guy. He thinks you're his friend, reader. He's talking to you. And he's like going to divulge how he's going to go about killing this guy. Um, so I loved that immediately. Um, and then his plan is basically like the thing he knows about Fortunato is that the dude loves wine. Um, okay. Or at least he prides himself on what he knows about wine that should be said um he might not necessarily love it um but he knows a lot about it and always wants to kind of demonstrate his understanding of wine so the two of them end up at like this carnival party and imagine throughout this whole story that fortunato is wearing one of those jester's hats that has the jingly bells on the end yeah of it, which is like and he has like striped clothing on. Um, so he's essentially in like a jester costume. This story is very funny. I should be yeah. clear. This okay. is like a comedy story. Um, so Montresor meets up with Fortunato at the carnival party. And he says, bro, I, I got a ton of Amontillado wine. I think it's good i think it was real but i didn't check to see if it was authentic oh. like could you help me out and fortunato's like amontillado uh, what uh and the narrator says i have my doubts amontillado i have my doubts like the narrator just keeps kind of echoing back <laughs> things that fortunato's saying or repeating himself over and over again right. to lull fortunato into um the scheme and then the other really funny thing that happens is he keeps mentioning like, oh, but if you're too busy to assess my wine, I could go talk to Lucchesi about it. And <laughs> Fortunato's like, Lucchesi? Damn. That guy can't tell Amontillado from Sherry. Like, you don't want to talk to that guy. Um, 
And every step of the way, as he's like luring Fortunato into his lair, he keeps being like, look, you don't have to do this. I could just go talk to Lucchesi. That would be fine. Yeah. Uh, and Fortunato's like, no, 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 no. Come on, man. Um, so they descend into these catacombs that are lined with this um, sediment that is formed from the fact that just above the catacombs is a river. So there's a lot of water like dripping through the ceiling and forming these like crystalline salty sediments that are essentially the solid version of potassium nitrate. And uh, it's agitating Fortunato's cough. So he's like coughing heavily throughout as they descend lower and lower. And Montresor is like, no, we can turn back. You're coughing. I'll, I'll just go talk to Lucchesi. He says it somewhat says, like, no. Doesn't he say somewhere? Sorry to interrupt you. I'm, I'm, you're no, on okay. fire. So at one point, he's like, nobody dies from a cough, dude. You're fine. Like, don't, you know, like, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. die from a cough. Love that. Right. Exactly. But like, yeah, he says, Fortunato says, enough. He said, the cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. <laughs> <laughs> man we'll see <laughs> so they drink like a little medicine on the way down <laughs> Fortunato says these vaults are extensive and they're kind of making idle chit chat at one point Fortunato asks Montresor about he's like I forgot what your your family motto and crest are and the motto is Nemo me impune lachesit which translates from Latin into um no one provokes me with impunity <laughs> fortunato's like cool Based. okay clearly did not understand what that meant <laughs> um yeah so they they keep kind of going along in that fashion um and what's interesting is as they're going through this walk at the beginning of the story you're thinking okay this narrator is off his rocker like something's wrong here and he's gonna kill this guy for no reason and then there's just this long walk through the catacombs where fortunato keeps being really annoying and you're like i kind of am okay with this guy getting murdered i gotta be honest like he's a bit of a dick uh like he's pompous he thinks that he knows everything he's dismissive obviously murder is not the answer but you can start to understand why the narrator has a distaste for this guy um and i read up a little bit about some interpretations of this and some people were thinking maybe this is poe you know like getting out his frustrations about his literary rivals who he thinks that <laughs> don't take the work seriously or like literary critics who feel like they kind of know everything about stories and actually aren't uh you know true artists or whatever um so it's one of those stories where you can kind of just graft onto this guy whoever it is that you have a distaste for and be like oh that's yeah i know exactly that type of guy and he's about right. to get casked in the amontillado or whatever so we go deeper and deeper there's this funny exchange where fortunato does this thing to see if um montresor is a a freemason and then montresor takes out like a little a little trowel to be like yeah i'm a mason but that's like the tool of a stone mason so he's kind of mocking um fortunato for being a mason anyway that's kind of like a niche 1840s joke but 
it still hits, I think. Sure. Um, and that trowel is the um, the Chekhov's gun here, because when we finally get to the last room of the catacombs, Fortunato is super drunk, and he's starting to get sicker and sicker from all the the, the like sediment around the area. And so Montresor just starts building a brick wall and uh, walling him in to this room at the end of the catacombs. Oh. Hmm. And it takes a long time to build it. It's like a slow, methodical process of fully building a brick wall. He had set up all the bricks ahead of time to be ready for himself to build this thing. And there's this amazing paragraph where it starts talking about how Fortunato is like screaming um, in terror because he's chained up at this point. Right. He's screaming in terror. And I just want to read this paragraph. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment, I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed. I aided. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamorer grew still. So there's just this terrifying moment where he's like shit this dude is screaming a lot i should probably just murder him with my sword and then he says no i'm actually just gonna scream back wow. at him what louder and keep <laughs> building the wall <laughs> it's so good Unhinged. oh my god and then he's about to place the last brick and fortunato's like okay ha, very funny we're done now right um and Montresor says, yeah, totally. Anyway, just going to put in this last brick. Um, and before he puts the last brick in, he's calling out to Fortunato because he doesn't hear him anymore. And there came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. So his little hat as he like oh. falls and thuds against the ground. And then he places the last brick. and uh, And that's that. And it ends with may he rest in peace in Latin, which is just, again, like this tongue in cheek, little punchline. Um, so yeah, I loved it. It's such a great showcase of like narrator voice and getting the reader to side with a character that is utterly distasteful. <laughs> um, it's so funny and creepy. It's, it's great. I love that. I love the first person narrative. We don't get a lot of that with Poe. And when we do, it's very fun. Um, also, just there's nothing more metal than getting revenge on somebody by building a building them into the walls of a, a wine cask, you know, of a wine house. Yeah. That's incredibly hardcore. Uh, any like that one seems like pretty straightforward. Like there's enough plot there that I'm like, that's about what it's about. But did you get anything in actually reading it beyond revenge can kind of be cool sometimes? <laughs> um, I mean, there's also like, it seems like more specific biographical stuff that maybe Poe is calling out a specific 
um writing rival who he had a feud with um yeah named uh what's it thomas dunn english oh um so i guess tom has done some english and edgar Allan poe didn't like it so much anyway um yeah i don't know i mean i think that's kind of what i get from it is essentially how do you get inside the mind of a murderer and like present what they're doing like this is a uh horrifically premeditated act right like this is not a crime of passion um and part of it is about this character being motivated by like the loss of status um because there's this implication that fortunato like insulted his family name and stuff um and so i think what's really interesting is like getting fully into the mind of someone who has like grievances that many people probably have about like feeling slighted or wronged or displaced and taking that to the full logical extreme of, you know, what, how far can your empathy go for someone who's feeling slighted and frustrated when the story is constructed in such a way that it's like fully immersed in their perspective, not to justify what they're doing, but almost as like a literary exercise of like, what does it take? What is this narrator? What can the narrator show you fully? Like he can show you fully and completely building a brick wall to get a guy, uh, you know, to suffocate to death or whatever. Right. And what are the things that the narrator has to gloss over in order to keep you on his side? What, how far does like him being funny go in winning you over and like softening this story? So uh, to me, it's like, really a a exercise in craft more than it is an exercise exercise in like thematic exploration um, i see yeah so i really enjoyed it for for that reason that's a wonderful contrast then to red death which is like yeah. what do you read into this and i got to admit like even reading red death death i was like this is a hard thing that's to that to communicate over you know a summary but like uh-huh. The build is really fantastic, you know. And also, I believe mm-hmm. Red Death is—I uh, forget who the perspective is from exactly—but I know it's first person because there's the, like first let me te- let me tell of the rooms in which the party was held. So mm-hmm. it might be from Prosper's perspective, but that all goes to say, like Amontillado is Poe being like getting into the mind of a character and letting right. you understand it and being like, "Here's why I did it. Here's what I did, and here's why I did it." There's no mystery. And again, reminding the listener here, Poe was also a guy who wrote detective stories. And he right. never he was never the type of person to write like a straightforward and the guy who you thought did it did it. Um the murders in the room the murder in the room morgue, most classic example of it's not the person you think it is. It'll never it's not even close to the person you think it is. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Room Org? A little bit, yeah. With the, are you familiar with who the killer is in that one? No, I don't believe so. Uh, do you mind if I spoil it for you? Go ahead, that's fine. So this is a classic. This is actually one that I read in a, a uh, detective fiction class. But Murders in the Rue Morgue is a detective fiction. It's con- considered first modern detective story. There's, uh, there's August Dupin, who's also like a character that comes up in other stories. He's a man in Paris who solves the brutal murder of two women 
who heard a suspect, but nobody in the suspect list can rem- agree on what language was being spoken. So it's a cl- it's an, but they know that all the doors to the house that were, where the murder took place were locked, and everybody in the place has a justification for not being them. Who does it end up being? Well, there was a zoo nearby, and a gorilla got out, and the gorilla killed the woman. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think I did know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the like one where it's the it's yeah. the monkey. You know? <laughs> oh my god! It's fucking wild, and it's I so love good. He's so cool, and it's 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 the thing you're talking about with Amontillado, where it's like we're not. I'm not trying to hide from you the, what I did. I'm actually going to tell you what I did, mm-hmm. and how I did it, and why I did it, and that's going to end with me being like, ah, "Rest in peace, fucker. <laughs> See you, loser." <laughs> I just think that's really neat and fun. Yeah. Um. This is the thing, right? Like it's horror, and it's creepy, and this is why I think people who maybe have more of an aversion to horror and thriller stuff whether it's in other media even can kind of think about it the way that we talk about poe where it's like they're doing something here they're scaring you and that's a big part of it and i understand that if you're easily like unsettled by seeing these things in video or in text or in audio then Uh i get why you're pushed away from it but like there's a creativity to to good horror that poe absolutely nails and a ton of modern stuff nails uh that is enjoyable even if you're even if and often because you are scared mm-hmm. but i don't consider i don't think casca Montiato is scary i think it's just like fascinating getting the mind of that guy right i think he's just so good at like dread specifically yeah. what's gonna happen this is gonna go bad oh my god we're walking down this hallway for a long time <laughs> <laughs> Like the whole the whole story is essentially just a wonder of you're following these two guys walk for five minutes or whatever. Right. Um yeah. Stellar stuff. Um I think that's what I got. Any final notes on the Edgar Allan poem special? Um, no, let us know what your what your fave Poe stuff is. Poems, short uh, stories, literature, whatever. Yeah, go listen to uh all the MC Lars and Girl and Poe songs, I guess. I don't know if those are still good, <laughs> but I liked those. Oh my god, MC Lars is a name I have not heard in so long. <laughs> the Edgar Allan Poe EP released in ju- June twenty, June yep. twenty twelve. Yep, crusty. I remember really liking that in June twenty twelve, <laughs> 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 or twenty fourteen, or whenever I actually listened. Right. Yeah. Oh my god, we have to do a whole episode of MC Lars someday. We really have to. <laughs> oh god. Uh-huh. Fellow Stanford graduate? Yep. It's <laughs> about, about Stanford in one of those songs, I think. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Anyways, uh-huh. um, Magellan, it's your turn. I'm going to hand you this pickle. What is your pickle for next week? Um. Okay. So I kind of want to do like a triptych thing so like a three-part uh study okay so i arthur reminded me in a suggestion that he made in the discord of something i really enjoyed doing when i was in college which was for like i don't know two weeks or something but it stuck with me Uh i would watch these like david attenborough bird documentaries but i would put them on mute and i would play music 
and just kind of wait and see if anything synced up or <laughs> like worked. And um, I there was no like mind altering substances involved. By the way, this was just kind of a thing that I wanted to do. Again, Michelle, so the I most wa- stoner non stoner ever. <laughs> yeah, I've never once in my life smoked a weed, but I think I've gotten <laughs> you know the experience without having to do that. Um, anyway, so here's here's what I'm thinking. I want us for one of the three things to to make a yeah 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 okay 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 here's the triptych. One of the three things I want us to do that where I'll give you some kind of video. I'll find a video, make sure it's not struck work uh, where it's like birds. And I want you to make a playlist to go along with it. Um, So let's say that you should make a playlist that's roughly like an hour long. Um, So that probably works out to like 20 something songs or so. Okay. And just things, songs that, make you feel like a bird Mm -hmm. um whatever that means to you and like try to capture a variety of moods and genres but like improv class there's no wrong answers there's no wrong answers so that's one thing um second thing is i want us to listen for the next week starting tomorrow to the podcast bird note daily which is a two-minute radio show that comes out every day and it's just little stories about birds. Okay. And the, the third part is I want us to just like take note of the bird vibes in your neck of the woods. Oh, and like if you come across any birds over the course of the next week. Oh, isn't there that app? There's that app. Oh, let's do an app. Let's do a bird watching app. No, there's like an app that you can play it audio of a bird chirping. It tells you what bird it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that cool? Okay. Merlin Bird ID by Cornell Labs. Okay. That's Great. The one. Okay. So the three things are try to ID at least one bird with the Merlin Bird ID. Okay. Listen to a week of the Bird Note Daily podcast. Okay. And watch some sort of bird montage video with your bird vibes playlist playing in the background. Okay, perfect. And then we'll talk about that triptych of bird vibe experiences uh, next week. Ooh, this podcast looks wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yourself in the natural world. Yeah. Also, I found an article from bird note. Uh, This is like extra credit. If you end up enjoying bird note, they have an article called Top 10 Spookiest Bird Note Daily Episodes <gasps> to Help You Celebrate Halloween. Oh, my God. They're doing great. That's great marketing right there. So I'm going to link you that. That's optional because this will come out after spooky season. So mm-hmm. it's not as relevant anymore. Ooh, Corvids. <laughs> but they have one episode called Crows Recognize Individual Faces. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That's so cool. All right, we're gonna get bird we're gonna bird up. We're gonna listen to watch the bird up sketch from Portlandia. No. Right. Right. Put a bird on it. Oh no, sorry. I'm mixing two things up. There's an Ed there's an Eric Andre thing 
which I think is called Bird Up, and then there's the put a bird on it, which is the yes. Anyway, you guys are watching Bird Up. Bird. Ah! Magellan, who does the plugs on this week? Me, I think. I think you did it last time. Okay, can you first tell me what you do on the internet? Uh, you can find me on another podcast where I play video games with my friend Justin called Super Smash Echoes. We play video games related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. Check it out, Super Smash Echoes. I also have some writing on my Substack, not that Magellan.substack.com. So you can check that out as well. Alan, what about you? I'm on a lot of podcasts on scanlinemedia.com, including The Creature Corn, which is about monsters, and uh, The Garnet Wager, which is a cacophony of like five different genres of podcasts that are all coming back soon. I was also recently on a Scanline Media stream playing GeoGuessr Azeroth and Eorzea Edition with Six. Um, so check those out. And every other month you can hear me on Talking Marketing, a uh, monthly mar- bi-monthly marketing chat hangout podcast, which I have been told is good. That's what I got. Lovely. All right. So let's do the plugs. Yeah. Yeah. You can get in touch with the show in a few different ways. You can email us email us at chatspot at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, recordings of yourself making bird sounds. I would actually love those a lot if you could send us those. That would be super helpful for our craft, our art, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at chatspod. You can DM us. You can XM us there. Um dx mario adventure wait no sonic adventure dx mario adventure dx come on now <laughs> anyway talking to myself at this point we are chats a television podcast on youtube of course we are also on apple podcasts and places like that consider rating us there leaving us reviews that would be very helpful for the show if you want to be helpful in other ways you can send us some money you on our Patreon, patreon.com slash chatspod, $1 a month and up, gets you access to our Discord where we hang out, talk about the shows that we've discussed, talk about other stuff, all the things that we talk about on the pickles, we talk about pickles, whatever. There's a lot of discussion happening off the pod in the cord. Come in here. $3 a month and up gets you access to twice monthly bonus content. We had one episode earlier this month where we had a chat that went in a lot of different directions and then ended up with us taking this like (laughs) relationship personality quiz that girlfriend of the podcast, Amanda crashed uh, the conversation of a bit in a very fun and unexpected way. So that's on the Patreon. And then we are going to be releasing very soon another Patreon episode where we played a kind of micro RPG that is, uh, I'm just going to tell you because I want you to enjoy it and come listen to it. It's a micro RPG that is like Carly Rae Jepsen themed cyberpunk heist. Um, it's fucking called go. Boy Problems. So that that's going to be on the Patreon at the end of the month as well. Um, so a lot of good stuff there. $5 a month and up gets you all of that stuff. Plus thanked here at the end of the episode. Our $5 and up patrons include... Arthur, Emrys, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, Marcus, May Louise, Michael, my mom, Pat, Noel, Six, and Stefan. Thank you, folks, for supporting the show. Thank you also to at Camillustrator for creating our podcast art. And, of course, consider supporting uh, the folks who remain on strike with the Entertainment Fund. 
um, and also just advocating for those folks um, as you can. Now, the last thing we want to recommend you do is listen to these chatsums and, you know, go go do them. They're little snacks, little things, snack and pickles that you can chew on between now and next time. Alan, what's your chatsum for this week? I've got a double music chatsum for y'all. Uh, I have a song slash album that has been stuck in my head since the moment I woke up today until now. And it's still rolling around in my head as I'm talking. Um, and that's the song If I'm Honest by Truesdale which is a trio of women uh, named Georgia, Lauren, and Quinn, who I had not heard of um, until they signed with uh, the production company that John Bellion runs. And he co-wrote, uh, if I'm honest, and a bunch of other songs on their album and co-produced. And it's so catchy and so fun. They have, um, I'd say the energy is kind of similar to The Chicks uh, and even a little bit of like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Like country adjacent but not necessarily country uh and if i'm honest it's just such a freaking earworm so please listen to it to get it out of my brain and into yours and listen to the whole album out of my mind for good like modern country vibe and then um you know i have to chat some it and i'm i can't believe i haven't chat some it yet because it came out on the 13th 10 days ago from this recording but metric released form and terror 2 and I, i'm legally obligated to like it and I do like it. It <laughs> is good. It is a follow-up to La tw- uh, 2022's Formentera, I believe uh-huh. it is. It's great. It's got some great songs. Um, we're going to cover it in a more in-depth way in the future on mm-hmm. the Next podcast. Month. Next month. On the Patreon. On the Patreon. My favorite song on it is Descendants. I'll let you hear why when we get into it. Nice. What about you? What are you chatting for this week? Uh, okay, I got a few obligatory Super Mario Wonder chats. Um, uh, we've both been playing it. It's fun. Do you like 2D Mario? Yes. What if 2D Mario, all of the piranha plants started singing to you? That yes. would be pretty good, wouldn't it? That's yes. the game. So that's been fun. Um, the event that I was talking about that I went to at the Nighthawk is called Spoons, Tunes, and Booze. If you ever find yourself in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and you want to go do that, essentially they watch Saturday morning, Sunday morning cartoons, and they have a cereal bar. It was so fun. It was such a fun thing to do. Uh, they also have like a monthly after dark show, I think, at the other Nighthawk location by Prospect Park. So just a delight. They And they have a lot of online events, too, um, actually. So if you're not a New York person, but you want to hang out with people who are watching random, funny, esoteric cartoons, uh, you should check them out. I think their group is called Secret Formula, so you can find uh, their online shows by searching for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, uh, I went to a uh, friendly local gaming store in Williamsburg called 20-Sided Store which I recommend. It's a very nice shop. Everyone's super friendly. Um, It's a beautiful space and they have a lot of great products. I purchased a couple of things that I want to recommend. The first is an RPG called Thirsty Sword Lesbians, which is uh, essentially a system that you can use to tell stories of flirty, uh, action-packed queer adventure. And isn't that super fun? Uh, so I recommend Thirsty Sword Lesbians. And then also found this, I don't know if it was like a 
independently published or what, but it was this little pamphlet, beautiful art called Barkeep on the Borderlands. And it's essentially it's essentially a system agnostic adventure where it sets the heroes in this like medieval city and you're doing a pub crawl through like 20 different fantasy taverns and bars that all have very different themes um and it has these systems for tracking like how drunk the characters are and how much time has passed over the course of the week and like the art itself and all the ideas in it makes it worth the price of admission but it also just seems like a pretty fun and well-designed adventure so barkeep on the borderlands um is the other thing i would recommend that's one of those concepts where you're like why didn't this exist before that's so specifically clever exactly yeah oh my god i love this art that's so cute while i was looking stuff up that you were talking about i found a video of a snake eating its own tail like in real life and oh it's so it's fascinating but also kind of really gross um i feel sick to my stomach that's the true meaning of halloween is being surprised (laughs) by an evil snake and uh i want to say to you all as my voice starts to go from nearly three hours of podcasting before this Thank you to Magellan for being the Prospero to my uh, Castle of Otranto, because one of us was clearly inspired. Uh, and I'll let you figure out who is who. It's hmm. because the Haunted Mansion, or a bunch of post stuff was inspired by the Castle of Otranto. That's why. I could have also said that you were the, um, oh my God, what is it called? The guy to my guy? What are the two guys in the thing that you read called? Name. Uh, Montresor and Fortunato. Yeah, but I don't want one of us to kill the other one. Uh, so how about you're the Prospero to my Fortunato because we've never met in person. <laughs> and thank you for we don't exist in the same universe. And thank you all for listening to Chats in a Pickle. Boo! Bye-bye. Happy Halloween. <laughs>